Yeah, well, good morning, everyone. My name's uh, Josh Lewis. I'm an assistant minister here, and uh, it's great to be with you this morning. Uh, welcome, um, if I've not met you in particular, and it's been quite a morning already. Projector dropping out, microphone not working, uh, leaks, uh, car park floods, wet feet, and it makes you realise you've got holes in your shoes as well. Uh, I don't know how your morning's been, but some people would refer to a morning such as this as a character-building morning. <laughs> and I think the reason uh, that people say that, it's a character-building morning, or uh, this is a character-building event, is that it gives a chance to test out your character, see how you respond under actual trying circumstances. Character is very important, and it is extremely important in leaders. And I think in our world recently, we've seen uh, some examples uh, with leaders of uh, perhaps character going a little bit wrong. Uh, you might have uh, been aware of the allegations against the Attorney General recently, Christian Porter. And what's been interesting is how people have kind of uh, responded to whether this should be investigated or not. Some people say, oh no, the claims shouldn't be specially investigated now because they don't really pertain to his job at the moment. This was something that happened and it's unrelated to him carrying out his role. That's one side. Others say, I was reading about a, a lawyer who was arguing, no, no, people should, we should investigate this. As the first law officer of the country, he should be held to the same professional standards as the rest of the lawyers. And we have standards that don't only talk about how we practice law, but things outside of that as well that might affect our suitability to practice. What standards should a leader be held to? What sort of character is suitable? And what about Christian leaders particularly, or Christian people? Well, in the Bible, there's this word for good character. That's godliness. It's, uh, it's, it's really the practical expression, living out in real-life situations of the knowledge of God. And so listen to this uh, from the last part of our reading, which we looked at in more detail last week. But listen to what, uh, what it says here. Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. The mystery of true godliness, the secret of, I guess, good character. And what's the mystery? Well, it's been revealed in Jesus. The verses continue. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. There he is. Jesus, uh, I guess, life outlined in brief. See, godliness, godly character is, is Jesus' character. And our passage today is all about character. Um, and the standard, the aim for those who are followers of Jesus is not the, the lawyer's code of conduct, it's, it's the character of the Lord himself. Uh, Psalm 101, uh, which we read, starts with King David, possibly Israel's most successful leader, praising God for his character of love and justice and then resolving to live his life and lead his people reflective of that character with a blameless heart. As king, he sets the example. And see, the character of those who are in prominent positions is especially important uh, because first, it has flow-down effects to those who are, I guess, following uh, as they're led by example. And secondly, because uh, leaders, I guess, represent the whole to the outside world. You can see this in some of the requirements that Paul lays down here for those in prominent positions in the church in Ephesus. The overseer is to be above reproach, Deacons are to be worthy of respect and must first be tested 
people should be able to see consistency of character over time. The overseer must have a good reputation with outsiders. Uh, Paul says, so he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. The devil, of course, wants the church to be as ineffective as possible at uh, living out the truth and getting that message of the truth out. And, and one disgraced leader means uh, disgraced church. You might have heard recently of the uh, uh, Ravi Zacharias scandal, where the abuse of this one Christian leader uh, has been devastating. Devastating for those who are directly affected by it, obviously, but destructive to a whole organisation, a whole ministry, and um, at least confusing for people who've listened to his teaching before and wondered, you know, can we believe what he says? How can, how can someone say one thing, act in another way? What does that mean for the message he represents? Character is vital in leaders because the impact of their faults is great. And yeah, I've been conscious this week as I've been reading this and reflecting on it, um, that these things are speaking to many of us, to me here as, as leaders. It's challenging. But most of what Paul says is not just applicable to, to official leaders at church. This is the kind of character that every Christian person should be nurturing because it's the character of Jesus. So what we'll do first is we'll just have a, an overview of the passage as a whole because there are things that I guess can be said about particular roles in uh, what's called God's household, the church. And then we'll drill down into some of the characteristics required of those taking on those roles and by extension, all followers of Jesus. So I do encourage you, if you've got the Bible there in front of you, keep it open there at uh, chapter 3 of 1 Timothy or, or get it up on the phone uh, so you can see um, where I'm talking about. And um, if you want to take some notes, there's a very generously spaced outline for you uh, that you can use. Uh, so the passage, there are three groups of people talked about in this passage. Uh, you might, may have noticed verses 1 to 7 is about overseers. And then we have verses 8 to 10 and 12 uh, to 13 about deacons. And then verse 11 is about uh, women or their wives in some translations. So let's go through each of those. Uh, first, the overseers. Uh, overseers basically are, as it sounds, someone who oversees, who guards, who protects, who watches over. Later in 1 Timothy, this same group seems to be referred to as elders as well. So for these um, overseers, elders, their job is to protect, watch over. And there's a particular skill listed for these, uh, this group, able to teach. Andrew spoke two weeks ago of the activity of teaching with authority um, from the end of chapter 2 and how that's a, a particular responsibility of a, a man in the role of overseer or elder in a church. But that, that teaching, that's really the, the, the uh, key unique feature of this group. Many of the other descriptions are character-based and overlap with the other groups. The second group is called deacons. Now, that's not as helpful a word for us to see what the job of this person is. Deacons is just, um, I guess, the English version of the Greek word diakonos from which it's taken. What we need to know is what diakonos means. That means just servant or minister. So these people could just be called servants or, or ministers. And in fact, in the next chapter, Timothy's referred to as a minister, same word. Now, these, this group uh, doesn't have to, be, have to be able to teach necessarily. It seems that the responsibility for that authoritative teaching rested with an overseer or an elder. 
uh, but it seems there's lots of leaders who served in other ways. Um, while the teaching skill isn't listed for deacons, uh, there's, uh, I guess, another skill that's listed for them and also for overseers, uh, the skill of managing a household. Uh, the church is God's household. That's how it's described here. So it makes sense that those taking care of it would be able to manage their own. This isn't to say necessarily that every leader must be married with kids, um, but the reality is that in the first century, uh, most of those looking at these kinds of roles would have been. Um, and in that circumstance, they need to be able to manage a household well. Even though management is a, a skill in some ways, it's also very character dependent. It's not uh, really that the family must reach this certain gold standard and that's, you know, that's the, the marker. It's more that the, the father uh, has to display uh, a character of forgiveness care for others, regard for prayer and God's word, self-sacrifice, love for others, all the things uh, that express responsibility to family, responsibility to a household, and thus a capability for responsibility for the household of God. So there's the second group. The third group, um, you've got a group that's called um, the women or their wives in verse 11. Now the word here can mean woman or wife, so the question is whether these are talking about wives of deacons who are already being talked about or talking about um, uh, perhaps female deacons. Now, there's actually no way to say um, deaconess or female deacon in, in Greek. It's a bit like English words like, um, like minister, where you, you don't have really a ministeress kind of equivalent. Or even actor now is becoming, you know, that could refer to a male or a female. So if Paul wanted to talk about women in this role, this is, this is how he'd say it. It's also strange that if he meant wives of deacons, that he wouldn't talk about the wives of overseers as well, um, who, I mean, their character would arguably be even more important. Either way, it's clear that, uh, that the women uh, were heavily involved in leadership and um, in positions of prominence in the church, and hence their personal qualities were important as well. And so there they are, the three or really two groups, I think, the overseers, elders, uh, and the deacons, uh, male and female. And across time, different Christian uh, groups have tried to implement what they find here and in other places um, in the New Testament and come up with quite varying church structures. Um, it's not Paul's purpose to lay down really exactly how to do it, um, but I guess pragmatics means that you have to work out how to organise yourselves. Now, within St Andrews, um, Andrew here is a presbyter, which means elder, so uh, you are ready for seniors' ministry. Uh, Chris, Chris Edwards, he's a, uh, a bishop, which is the, the word for overseer. Now, I'm a deacon, which means servant minister, as we talked about. But we also have an archbishop who helps organise us at a kind of a Sydney-wide level. Um, and that's not even like a particularly biblical term. It's just an organisational category. Some other churches, independent churches, would have elders and overseers and deacons all sort of within the one congregation, no additional oversight outside. And there are strengths and weaknesses to the different models. I think the Anglican model is, is pretty good. Is Chris here? No, anyway. Uh, but this passage uh, doesn't approve of one particular model. That's not its purpose. You can implement it in different ways. The purpose 
is the, the focus on the character of the leaders. Now, as I mentioned, I'm technically a deacon, and I've only actually been that since November. So I just had a rogue up here before November last year, but I'm technically a deacon. But there are many others who deacon in our church. Many, hopefully all of us, who also serve in informal capacities. That's what we were talking about. That's our second mission commitment, growing others, serving on Sundays. And there are some within our church too who've been appointed to more formal serving capacities. Small group leaders, for instance, or or other ministry leaders. I mentioned these two skills, I guess, for the formal leaders here. Ability to teach for overseers, managing households for overseers and deacons. But the rest of these lists, they're not about skills at all. They're about character. And character that's important for anyone who leads, whether formally or informally. And in fact, anyone who follows Jesus. Because these characteristics, this this mystery of godliness, it's based on him. So let's have a look at these characteristics now. We'll, we'll group them together a little bit, but let's have a look through. And as we do, uh, think to yourself, is this one that I go well with or not so well with? Is this one that I value in a leader? Okay, so first up, we have uh, faithful to your wife, if you have one. Uh, and this is mentioned for both the overseers and the deacons. And again, they don't necessarily need to be married, um, but it would have been common that they were, which is why it's mentioned. And if they are, they must be faithful. But faithfulness can be expressed in whatever life circumstances, in marriage by exclusivity, in singleness by celibacy. And the temptation to be unfaithful could come from a variety of quarters. I guess at its simplest, Sexual unfaithfulness could grow out of just a desire for physical pleasure, but it's often much more complicated than that. There's much more that feeds into it, into unfaithfulness in either physical or emotional ways. Loneliness, dissatisfaction, even a, a desire to manipulate or control. And so we need the truth, all of us, that in Jesus there is satisfaction, there is connection, there is meaning. And we know that he is faithful. So there's the first one, faithfulness. Is that one that you're, you're strong on? Is that one that you value in Christian leaders? Second, uh, we'll talk about a, a, a group of them, uh, being temperate, self-controlled, sincere. This idea of, I guess, sober judgment, being serious and concentrated in service, careful and considered, knowing your own mind, not being flighty, but stable. Think of a, uh, a, a big aeroplane. Think of a Boeing 747, right? Huge. Takes a while to get started, but once it's in the air, it can take all kinds of turbulence. It can fly through flocks of birds often. It just keeps going to its destination. Now, compare that to, to, to like a tiny paper aeroplane that I manufacture out of my notes. You throw that and the slightest gust of wind knocks it off its course. The Boeing is like the the temperate, self-controlled, sincere person, able to keep going despite circumstances. I wonder if you could describe yourself as temperate, self-controlled. This is the character of Jesus. We see it, for instance, as towards the end of his life, he sets his face towards Jerusalem He's not dissuaded from going there by fear of what will happen to him. 
Uh, we know Jesus is emotional. Um, he wept over his, uh, the death of his friend Lazarus, but he controls his emotions to, to go towards his ultimate task. How do, how do you go with this? You're more like a, a Boeing or a paper plane. Well, the next characteristic, hospi- hospitable, being hospitable. This is a word that's used for welcoming both other Christians, but also uh, outsiders, strangers as well. It's got a tone of openness, of um, receptivity towards anyone. Are you open? Are you outward facing, ready to be generous? Perhaps it's not even inviting someone to your place. Perhaps it's just walking over to someone who you don't know very well, inviting them to be, to be heard, to listen to them. As we look towards the mystery of godliness as revealed in Jesus, we see someone who again and again is ready to meet and eat with people. Jesus values times of solitude, but he has such concern for people, such concern for crowds that come to him that he doesn't even know. And his choice to suffer and die allows us to be welcomed into his father's home, his family. Well, uh, the next criteria is a leader is not to get drunk. Of course, there's the immediate danger that would come from uh, losing control of oneself through, uh, I guess, intoxication. But as with these others, drunkenness is, is, a, is a sign of some deeper uh, disordered desire. It could be born out of a pursuit of pleasure, perhaps, a, a pursuit of a certain type of feeling. But it could be born out of a desire to escape something, to numb reality. It could be born out of insecurity, a desire to fit in. In some cases, it's, it's complex with addiction and so on involved as well, in which case it's not so much a desire but a, a kind of slavery. The mystery of godliness, though, is Jesus. He's the one to turn to for right fulfilment of desires. Believing on him means that despite what you feel socially, you're accepted by God himself. His welcome makes life worth living, not numbing. He shows that God's good gifts are to be enjoyed with thanks and not in just untethered self-indulgence. And so we come to this, uh, this description, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Gentleness, not quarrelling, not loving money, they're all listed as, I guess, replacements for violence. Gentleness is not a weakness, it's, a, it's a, an approach that rules out uh, quick-tempered reactions and rather makes allowances for people. Not quarrelsome means, uh, I guess, peaceableness, not using intimidation or manipulation to control, not getting bogged down in petty controversies. Not loving money is interestingly listed in place of violence, something that could, could come in place of violence. The preoccupation with uh, amassing wealth more and more um, is destructive to yourself, it's destructive to the community and often goes hand in hand with violent manipulation. And it's really the antithesis of contentment with what you've been given by God. Is this one a characteristic you could work on? Do you find yourself using violent or controlling words or just seethingly frustrated on the inside? The mystery of godliness, though, shows us Jesus. Firm, never violent. Talking straight with people, not using them. He lived humbly, not driven by a desire for more. And the last quality we'll look at is not being conceited. 
This seems to be a particular trap for uh, people who are new Christians, hence new converts shouldn't be thrust into leadership roles immediately. But conceit, that is arrogance, pride, it's a danger for all. It's often thought of as the, uh, the devil's primary kind of mistake, which is why he's mentioned there, thinking of himself more highly than God and hence disastrously grasping at power. Jesus was the one who could perhaps have thought more highly of himself than any other person, but he humbled himself. He became a man. He spoke with openness to the lowest levels of society. He gave himself up to suffering and death, the opposite to conceit. As we've talked about each of these things, I've tried to flag, I guess, how Jesus shows us the perfect example and how how each of us, those serving informally, those aspiring to be leaders and, and, and leaders as well, all of us fall short in these areas, struggle with the misshapen desires behind them. Though leaders are to have respectable characters, none is perfect and all are vulnerable. But the mystery of godliness of good character isn't just that Jesus gives us the best example, although he does that. He lets us start again. If you think of yourself more highly than you ought, then come to Jesus. If you're struggling with violent frustration or the tendency to manipulate others, come to Jesus. If you're struggling with drunkenness or perhaps some other drug to the same effect, TV or food, scrolling news feeds, mind-numbing indulgence, Come to Jesus. If you've got an inward-turned heart that isn't open to people, if you're not receptive of people you don't know very well, come to Jesus. If these characteristics don't inspire you, if they don't match your view of a great leader of perfect humanity, then come to Jesus. He appeared in the flesh for us. He was vindicated by the Spirit for us. This is the wonderful truth at the heart of the church itself, the church which is called to grow itself in this truth and hold out this truth to the world. A church which does that best when those within it, and particularly those leading it, are like the one at the foundation, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, thanks so much for the wonderful uh, mystery revealed when your Son became flesh when he lived, died and rose to make a way to you. Thank you, that means that we're welcomed into your household, into your family. Thank you for those um, amongst us who serve and who lead. And we ask that you'd help each of us to grow in character, to become more like Jesus. Amen. We're going to hear our next song, When I Survey.